Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. You know this show. This show is where I sit down with the world's top creatives, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders and do my very best to unpack actionable and valuable insights with the goal of helping you live your dreams, whether that's in career, in hobby, or in life. My guest today is the Roman Mars. Now, if you like podcasts, and I trust you do because you're listening to this one, then you know Roman. He is the host of the wildly popular design podcast called 99% Invisible. He is known as the, quote, Ira Glass of design. And God, if you, well, let's just talk for a second. I think my radio face, first of all, I have a face for radio, but my radio voice, I give it a sort of a B. Roman Mars' radio voice is a triple plus, plus, plus. Uh, his show, I think they've got about oh, hundreds of episodes of the can, more than six years, covers everything from the unsung icons of Soviet design to skateboarding DIY culture to space suits, all through the same lens, as he says, I'm going to use his words here, of telling stories that make you notice and appreciate the world in a new and different way. You've heard me talk at length about the world is designed, everything, that you, the chair that you're sitting in, the headphones you're listening to this on, were all designed by someone with, that had an intention in mind, and his podcast does a remarkable job of reminding us that the world that you live in is designed probably by somebody no smarter, more talented than you. He is also a creator of the world's most popular design-focused TED Talk, you're going to want to watch that at the end of the show. He's a co-founder of another podcast called Radiotopia, which is also wildly successful. Roman is a super humble, soft-spoken guy, and his radio voice is really going to be music to your ears as soon as you hear him. I promise you that. But there's this fire inside of Roman that lurks just behind the surface that I know you will sense. You'll pick up on that. And a little bit of that positive, super hard-headedness that I feel like so many people who've been on this show carry. And it's just it's this theme of people that are <laughs> doing cool shit. They just refuse to listen. To, to They don't hear the word no, or no really means not yet. It's what fuels, I feel like, his approach and the approach of so many groundbreaking creators. It's got a, we talk about a little punk rock background, a DIY ethos. If you can't buy it, build it. If you don't know how to do it, roll up your sleeves and figure it out. I love this episode. It it evokes so much, so many emotions from my own uh, experience growing up as a photographer, transitioning into a, a creative entrepreneur, and the breaking of the rules. I, Roman lives that paradigm, and uh, you know you break the rules, and along the way, you know that at the end of the day, your passion is going to overcome or trump the hand slapping that you got from the rule breaking. In this episode, we also uh, talk about how a lack of success can actually give you freedoms to potentially larger success than you would have if you just had a smooth sailing. I love this because I see so many people stressed out the fact that they aren't a household name yet, that you know, they're not where they want to be, X, Y, Z. In this episode, we talk about how to embrace that. This is your chance to try crazy stuff when your name's not yet on everybody's radar. If you mess up, it doesn't matter. And that 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 opportunity to experiment can act as a phenomenal catapult. Uh, we also get into something I talked about recently on the show, which is finding your personal style. I don't know if you saw my CJ Raw episode. 
or have seen some of my rants on Facebook recently, um, it's a great way of, of we talk about how to, how to tap into that personal style by trying on as many things as possible as you can to find your voice. And Roman also gets into what he's learned as the show scaled about relying not just on his own wherewithal and his own skills and talents and hard work, but the hard work of a team, whether you're a solopreneur or you're, you're invariably working with other people. And this is a tough one for so many creators to crack. And I feel like he does an exceptional job of diving into that and help us get more comfortable with collaboration. Very, very insightful. Uh, with that, I wanted to give away anything more than I already have. Let's get into the show. But before we do, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits. And today, Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Life classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. It's the first time we're meeting right yeah. here. And in these, actually, we met in the hallway. Right. But I need to give a little backstory. We're here because, well, print magazines got us all together in this box. I just got off the, uh, I had my picture taken by our friend John Keatley. You're next. Yeah. Uh, but this particular section of what we're doing here is, uh, well, you heard my little intro. I do my best to unpack actionable and valuable insights um, from people like you who are super smart and leading your your specific, whatever it is that you're interested in. That's what I want to know. So. Podcast, 99% Invisible, mm -hmm. legendary. What work do you think you're doing? Like when you think of the work that you set out to do every day. Hmm. I mean, fundamentally, I tell stories, factual stories about the world that make you um, notice and appreciate the world in a different way. That's, that's what we're out, that's what we're after. And how did, how, do you, how did you arrive at that particular thing? Go back X number of years, mm -hmm and then give me a little bit of a timeline and like sure. now you're, you're able to articulate that point of view really clearly. I mean, I was like, I, I was this public radio super fan. I was working on my PhD in genetics for a long time. I listened in the lab and listened to NPR all the time. And at a certain point I realized that if I could study a new thing every day, like a journalist does, 
um, instead of studying the MRRM gene cluster in corn every single day. <laughs> I was going to say fruit flies? That was my memory <laughs> you know, of genetics It was, it was uh, transposable elements in corn when I worked on. Wow. And then um, that my life would be perfect. And so I s set about rearranging my life. Can we retake? No. There's all, there's, it's all, it's faux pas and everything are included in this show. So I set about rearranging my life to work in radio and do that type of thing. So I moved out here. I did some tech jobs for a little while, and I began volunteering at KALW in San Francisco, 91.7. Um, that was um, 16 years ago. And, uh, wow. and then I worked on every type of radio show that exists in public radio, public affairs shows, uh, 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 call-in shows, uh, music shows, interview shows, and uh, seven years ago I began to become interested in how to tackle design on the radio, and that's what 99% Visible became. First show. No. Do you, do you remember it? Oh, the first show I ever did for 99. Yeah. It was a piece about um, sort of uh, about acoustics, acoustical design, in the San Francisco Public Library. So uh, I talked to the acoustic designer and in the, in the San Francisco Public Library there's this large like seven-story atrium, like a center area, and they were gonna put the circulation desk at the, at the bottom of that sort of um, seven-story like ceiling. And the acoustic designer said, um, if you put things there, no one will hear, no one will be able to hear and they, the, the the library patrons won't be able to talk to the librarians and that sort of thing. So they kind of tucked it underneath the, the first floor and, uh, and that's where it sits today. And, and this is a good, good piece, of, uh, a piece of design. Uh, it also sort of created this interesting problem is if you ever walk into there, there's this round atrium area that you have to step down into and because it was kind of originally designed to have a desk in the middle, people kind of don't know where to go and yeah, what to do, and they kind of run in into middle, each other. Yeah. yeah, and so they put up this sort of you know janky uh, sort of theater rope style thing to sort of direct traffic. At least it was there seven years ago. I don't know if it's there now. <laughs> um, and it was so they had this you know 150 million dollar building. Um, that's the the design problem that was created by this one good solution was being solved by like a twelve dollar theater rope. And I, I love that, like the unintended consequences of like trying to you know think through a problem, solve a problem, and then and then try to deal with it. The when, ripple effects. Yeah, of when, you know when what you solve. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I I love that kind of stuff. That was the first that was the first episode. It's so well produced. Oh, show. thanks. Like, <laughs> is that because of the actual radio background? Yeah, like, I mean, the, is it like? I mean, I is a me, coincidence also that acoustics. Was the first show? I mean, that was not a coincidence. <laughs> I mean, at the beginning, I was nervous about how we could cover visual design. Mm -hmm. And so that one made a lot of sense. But um, in terms of the radio part, you know, or the, or the how it's produced, you know, my, my background's from radio. I like things to be radiophonic, which means that it can't be something that's, if you could print the text of it, and read it yourself and get the feel of it, then you're not making radio. You have to make a thing that really can only be consumed by the ear. And so I look for things to make it you know, rhythmic and interesting. A lot of the material is pretty dense, so there's lots of, you know, I break in and help explain things and, and the voices are active so that um, your ear is always interested. And so that's just like my aesthetic, it's what I like. 
and uh, and and also that's the fun part to me, like placing music, um, getting good sound. I love the sound of people's voices. I love every type of voice. I'm not. I was seeing interrupting you. I was just thinking like. I think I could listen to your voice pretty much for like three hours straight. I'm just kind of getting, if I start leaning in, I'm getting cozy here. No, it's, it's very yeah. kind of you. But, but, but I, even though I'm complimented a lot on my voicing, um, you know, there's a lot of, like people are really critical of people's voices on the radio. You, we hear about it all the time. If Young women in, in particular have uh, this thing that I think is purely invented called vocal fry, invented by people who are annoyed by it, not invented by the women who have it. And it's just a way to shut women up even more. Um, and it's super irritating to me. But I love the sound of different voices. There's no proper radio voice, in my opinion. I like all the different variety. And so we try to bring all those things in. And, and I just love hearing, like, when you're doing your job right as a radio presenter and an interviewer, um, like, I fall in love with every person I interview in the process of working with the, the sound of their voice. And, uh, and so that's the, that's the best part. And when you can con convey that in the, in the piece, then, then you've done a good job. One of the things that this particular gathering of people, while we're here, while I'm grabbing interviews with the folks that Debbie Millman has helped curate the, this piece for the print magazine, mm -hmm. and then I'm sort of sub-curating this, uh, an opportunity to connect with some people that I think are expressly talented and have insights that the people who pay attention to this show uh, and here on Creative Live, that community of 10 million. Um, creativity with a small c, I think of as design and photography and architecture, and, and then there's creativity with a big c, which is the you know part of the solution to every problem we will ever know, whether it's math or physics. Or I'm wondering if you can riff on that for me for a little bit. How do you think about the work that you do in the in the light of creativity with either a small c or a big c, and does the big C matter? I mean, it all matters in the sense that I like to, to talk about small things and use them to point out big things. And I don't always cover the most important and pressing issue, but I think being design, being aware of design and being thoughtful about the world uh, makes you more prepared and better to solve the problems of the world all around. So I might be only talking about, you know, whatever the the pitch of the angle of a curb cut on a sidewalk, but I'm really talking about, you know, bureaucracies and rules and regulations and bigger ideas. And so those are the those are the good shows. When it comes to creativity, the part of me that, you know, I'm a worker, and fundamentally, I don't consider myself like especially creative. I just consider myself especially like hardworking. And to me, the best thing you can the way you can talk about creativity to make it effective is just recognize that it's work and that you solve the problem. You don't wait for inspiration. I don't believe in inspiration. I believe in just working. Chuck Close. <laughs> the, the, there are artists who sit around and wait for inspiration to come and never get anything done and the rest of us go to work. Uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in that. And so so that's the part. Is like it's, not, it, it's, it's both the most important thing and not special at all. It is just like everything else. You just have to work through it. And you have to pick the part that you can tackle. So when I work on a show, I don't necessarily write the intro first, I write the, the part I'm most excited to write first, and then I build out from there. And whatever thing you need to get you started, whether it's just a regular schedule or the fact that 
there's this great piece of music and you know you could just talk the hell out of it, you know, like talk right over it and it would just sound so good and smooth. Like start wherever you can and find purchase and just do it and then just do it every single day. And, and the other part is like, I've been trying to, as my show has developed, I've become more of a business person for the, on behalf of the show because I have employees and all these other things to do. But I need to like, I need to open up pro, pro tools every day. I need to open up my tools to do the job. Um, and uh, there are other people who could mix my show and do a better job than me, but um, I want to be the last person to touch it. How much do you consider craft in your work? Are you thinking about these things on a, every, is every, do you make an attempt to consider every option, every piece of, um, every decision, every, like, how, how precious do you feel like you are with your uh, craft? Saying, at this point, I'm not especially precious. Yeah. <laughs> Mainly because... Go back to the piece on work, right? Yeah, about. I mean, so, so, like, in the beginning, you have that luxury and that time and the sort of lack of success gives you the, some... Grand of, amount of freedom. It's weird. Like I don't celebrate. If you're just starting, you got all sorts of opportunity <laughs> to make mistakes, and no one's watching. Right. And so you have that. You have that time to like futz over everything, and you have that. You have that sort of notion that you're right. Your way is right. You're going to make it your way, the right way. Now, I've made f you know 16 years of radio. There's lots of ways to make a radio story good, and sometimes my employees. You know, they're super talented. They're as talented or more talented than I am. That's why I have them. But, like, they don't do things the way I would do them. And that's okay. And letting go of that is important when you're developing. So I don't know how we got here necessarily, but I basically... Creativity with the small And, and crap. Yeah. And also crap, the yeah. idea of crap. I do not futz over every detail anymore, mainly because there's two reasons. One, I have a deadline every single week. A show comes out every week, no matter if I, like love it or just kind of like it. I have to at least get to a kind of like it. <laughs> it doesn't matter if uh, you got in a car crash that week or it snowed <laughs> and you missed your flight or none mm. of those things matter when well, you've got that. You've got to do it. A product. And so, so I believe in the craft to a certain extent and then there's a certain point where you just have to do your job and get it out because people Pers are counting on it. Personal style. How do, you, how do you get it? Personal style. Yeah. I don't know. It's a tough, but it's a tough <laughs> question. It's a question I get asked as a I mean, my life as a maker, and now with Creative Live, I'm trying to help. I mean, millions of other people do that, and like it's a tough I always, question. I always tell people that that um, uh, stealing plus lack of talent equals creativity. So, in your attempt to do what other people do, and your inability to do it because you don't have enough talent to do it, you will create a new thing out of that. And so, I believe in trying on as many possible things as, that you can to find your voice through other people's stuff. Because in the beginning, this is something that, um, there's a sort of a giant in my field, his name is Ira Glass, and he, <laughs> he mentions this a lot, that like, you are in this because you know what's good, but you're not capable of creating as things as good as you know are good. And in that period of time, you just have to work it out. And so, but I, I like, you know, like when I was creating my show, I knew like I wanted it to be, you know, forty percent Nate DeMeo's Memory Palace, forty percent Jadam Amrod's um, Radio Lab, and like twenty percent Benjamin Walker's Theory of Everything. And and even though 
And that, 99%. And then 99% <laughs> invisible. And so like all of that stuff together, you know, even though those are all me copying and, and, and you know, copying their style in different ways, and, uh, but the alchemy of that, that became me. It's not, not genuine. I can't do what they do. But when we mix it all together and put it through me, then all of a sudden it is a thing. Remix culture. I, I totally believe in that. Yeah. And so don't, I don't, just don't be afraid of that part. I, I think that's a, that's a good part of finding your, your style through other things. And I think every, you know, like every, my wife is a singer, you know, you don't start out singing your own songs that you created for the most part, like a lot of punk bands do. But, but in general, like you just kind of like, you, you learn to sing by, you know, taking classes and learning other, and then you find your voice through other people's voices. And I, I think that's an important part. Another piece of Ira Glass, which I think runs parallel to this conversation, is the creative gap. Have you ever talked about that? Yeah, exactly. The distance between what you can see in your mind and what you can actually make. And at some point, that starts out and that gap is massive. And mm -hmm. then over time, you know, to, your, to the end that you were speaking to momentarily there, like when you start to get better and better and better, and when the thing that you can see is the exact thing that you can create. Mm -hmm. And I would say that that equals, let's call that mastery. Mm -hmm. It's, I believe it's important to sort of continue to move the goalposts because if you're just lingering in mastery, that's one thing, but it's that gap, the struggle where happy accidents happen, right. where ingenuity, when you, you have to make something, you have to make what you have with what you've got. Talk to me about that a little bit because I see that embedded in um, 15 years, or 16 years of shows. I mean, there's 16 years of me doing radio. It's six years of, six and a half years of shows for 99. So, um, I mean, the main thing I did to move the goalposts on my show was invite other people to do it because I, I did it by myself for the first couple of years. And then I had employees and then you, the things that they create are not things I would create. And then I have to figure out how to edit that to make it kind of what I want and also um, if you don't fit the style of the show and have their voice in it too. And so that's the part of it that's a big deal to me. So something you said uh, in your last thought and has been, I've picked up on it just in the you know, 10 minutes or 15 minutes we've been talking, is you've, you've called yourself many things. You've called yourself a creator. You've called yourself a business person. You've called yourself an editor. Mm -hmm. You've called yourself a lot of different things. Um, I'm... I, I champion the idea that we're all hyphens now. Mm -hmm. We used to just be able to, maybe you, you can take me through how you think about that. You, know, you, you used to just be the radio person or before then you were just the technician or bef and now you just describe an ecosystem where you touch everything. Mm -hmm. So talk to me how, about how you think about that. Is that good, is it bad? Do you encourage people to specify or diversify? What's the POV from you? I mean, my favorite term for myself is producer. That's what I always was in radio. So. The producer, what I love about that term is that you solve the problem. If you have to, you know, move the car, <laughs> you know, to make sure the equipment comes in and then move it back out and, the, you know, find a some street parking, it doesn't matter how important you are in the scope of things. You have to do that thing. You have to order the food. You have to do, you know, like, so I've, you have to fix the ISDN when it's down. You have to do everything. That to me is like the ultimate. And that is like, you are a utility player and you do everything to solve the problem. And so 
the creative and business stuff, like how I sort of manage those two, to me, a lot more of my job is solving the production problem of making sure everyone gets paid. It's a different problem than I used to solve, but it's still solving the problem of producing the show. And I like it. The, the reason why the show works and uh, you know some shows, are, some shows are successful and some aren't is that sometimes you, you can, there's one person that can handle all that stuff and then when you have to have too many of those people because one person can't handle it, it becomes harder and harder to fund that thing. Um, but luckily I just like, I found I liked the businessy parts. And yeah, it's not what I fell in love with. I mean, I fell in love with just the way people talked. And I wanted to be one of them. And I wanted to read books and talk to interesting people. And then I loved, I fell in love with the tools. Like I, I was in Pro Tools and I loved the way I could use music to change a mood and I could um, use the rhythm of speech to like change things. And then in a way I fell in love with the business parts. I loved you know, raising money for what we did because I thought it was important. So I like all those things, and I keep a toe in all of them, and I let, but I let huge parts go. My show wouldn't exist without the workers, who, the producers who work on my show anymore. Like, there's some weeks I'm really involved, some weeks I'm so much less involved, and all I know is through the period of time for the first, you know, I mean, for the most part with radio, the host gets so much credit. So for 10 years of my radio career, I got way too little credit for what I did. <laughs> and now I get way too much credit for what I do. I'm and, thinking of these two here, right? They're like, they're like yeah, this dude. Like, <laughs> I'm looking at you, Matt and Asa. So, I mean, I, so I guess it's, it's kind of balancing out. Yeah. And me, but but, but it's, it's weird. And getting comfortable with that is a strange part of the development of, of when you create something and have it grow with other people in it. But um, I... I like it. Like I don't feel like I've lost complete touch with what I do because I still like when there's no show that's going to come out because everything else has fallen apart or something got killed or some you know some kind of story has run off the rails. Um, I'm still the one who can put one together in seven days by myself if I had to because that's how I started the show and I can still do it. Like it, like I've just tested this so I know I can still do it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like. Um, I don't like doing it because yeah. those shows aren't as good because without everyone involved, they're not nearly as good as they, they, they could be. Um, but so I, I personally, like when people get into, I mean, now people ask me about podcasting all the time. Before that, they asked me about how to get into public radio. And I always tell them to join a radio station like KLW, where I came from, which was small and needed, the, needed workers, needed help. And you had to do everything. And if you showed up, you had a job to do that day. Whereas, um, you know, like if you got an internship at a big station, you would get someone coffee. And that's useless. You know, so I, I, I believe in many hyphenates. And maybe even so much so that you're not defined by any one of those terms. Like there, is, there aren't enough hyphens for it to, for it to in, include everything. I love that answer. I, it lines up so much with my belief of a future, not just of creativity, but of employment. Of, and the, the other side of the same coin is some people think of that as you know from a fear-based or a, uh, a constricted mindset, like struggle. But it's also opportunity. Like you have so many 
opportunities to dip your toes in things that, you know, this 40-year work at the same company, get a gold watch, those days are over. <laughs> and you might, you know, you For can sure. either, yeah, the light at the end of the tunnel is either, depending on your mindset, it's either a train or it's the end of the tunnel. <laughs> and um, I think the, the context that you just put on that is awesome. I want to talk just for a second about when things go wrong. Because mm-hmm. you just tested yourself and you said, oh, I know, I can still do it. I just did that. So is that like, did you, did you well, grab the ball right before it hit the ground? Or what are, what are some, I mean, presumably you have a, a memory or two of some, some painful shit. <laughs> sure. I mean, the, the way you know you have a healthy production is when you kill stories. When, th- when you go, are going down a path and you know it's not good enough to work and you have the flexibility and uh, the sort of person power to get it done, any, to get something done anyway. And so I don't consider those failures to be huge train wrecks. Those are, that's part of the process. Um, you know, the, when you are presenting documentary and fact and journalism, you can get stuff wrong and that's no fun at all. Um, and, uh, you know, people get upset about those things and that's no fun at all. Um, when you do something publicly, you know, there's people are open and invited to comment and I'm super sensitive about that stuff and that feels terrible. Um, but I would say the main things that were, I've, you know, the, the train wrecks that I feel right now are when um, my staff are disappointed in something that I did and I, that makes me feel terrible. And so um, you just have to, the thing is that you have to have the long view of your work. So I make a short show every week. And to me, no one episode of the show represents what the show is about. And so I hate it when people say, well, what show should I listen to? Because <laughs> to me, that's not it. Like, to me, like I'm drawing this like regression plot. So there's like this, this episode's about this, this episode's about this, and it, it, it all kind of scatters. And sometimes they're about big things, sometimes they're about small things, sometimes they're about ideas, sometimes they're about people. And then you draw this regression line, and that regression line is the thesis of the show. And so you don't do that by one big, perfect episode. You do that by a lots of different ones that make up a whole, a whole body of work. And so, you know, the, the ones that, are, that fall short and are slightly different and have different focus are part of that process. And, and for, the, for those of you listening, you could interchange radio show with photograph, with painting, with design, with all absolutely. of these things that, you know, they're all um, proxy for one another in the process of making. That's mm-hmm. what I love. In the particular lies the universal. I'm trying to do what you do so well is hone in on your radio show, but it's a, it's a, a proxy for making basically anything, right? There's a million uh, instances, and then yeah. there's the work. Which photograph should I look at in your work? <laughs> you are like, oh, this, yeah. ah, I don't even know what the answer is. Um, so to that same end where I'm trying to employ some of the things that you brought up in your intro and talk about them here, um, you talked about having a visual. Um, it's how can you make, first of all, something visually interesting on a radio show Mm -hmm. and how do you talk or critique or or think about um, in some cases visual design let's talk about your boots for a second (laughs) so like you talk about breaking things up you talk about changing gears we're going to change gears for a second so you've got these boots I commented on them earlier um, and you know let's just we'll contrast them to my (laughs) shoes and do what you do 
it talked to me about your boots and how do we get the people at home that are listening to this on oh, a podcast. To care about my boots? Yeah, how to care, to care about your boots. That's tough. I mean, like, you were kind of passionate about it, though. I said, I'd love your boots because I've mm. only seen those in brown. Well, I mean, because I, well, in, in my personal case, I, I like to wear black belts more than brown belts, and so I wanted some black boots. They also like harken back to my history of like only wearing combat boots and Dr. Barton boots. Remember and those? Remember the nineties? <laughs> <laughs> it was the eighties and nineties yeah, for that's me. Right. Um, and uh, uh, like, I don't know if I get. I'd have to do a lot of research to find these interesting. I mean, they're called indie boots because they harken back to Indiana Jones, which is like one of the greatest movies of all time. Um, and I just. Uh, but they've got a finish on them that it looks like they want to be. Sort of Indiana Jonesified. Yeah, you beat them up. Like these, I, this is the second time I've worn them. Uh, this, yeah, this, they're beautiful. This though. one, I, this, but it's my second pair I bought, um, and uh, and I went back to them because I bought a pair of these, and then I had another one in between, and I bought these. I tend to wear like stuff like this um, because I don't like to think about shoes all that much. <laughs> like I love pocket squares, and I love you know like waistcoats and things like that, but. I kind of wear the I wear these boots if I'm wearing a suit or if I'm wearing you know like a t-shirt, um, and so I like things that are versatile like that. Yeah, um, and uh, yeah, they just make me happy. And one of my things that gives me the greatest joy in the world is uh, arriving early at the airport and getting my shoes shined. It's like a glorious experience. Wow, I'm a big believer in getting your shoes shined. Uh, it's like a it's like a massage or something. It's just like it's like relaxing. You talk to a guy. Who's uh, usually has a very interesting life, and so um, and you and there's no very few shoe shines anymore, except for in the airport. <laughs> yeah. So I found the one place that you can find joy in an airport is at the shoe shine. I'm at SFO about three days a week, so I'm gonna look for you every time <laughs> I walk by that shoe shine yeah. place. There so at Terminal one. Two, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's in the corner before the shop start. International, it used to be outside, but they closed that place down. I, I, around the country, I know where the shoe shine is. Nice. <laughs> I, will, I will always think of you as I walk by those. I'm like, that's, yeah, great. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm gonna, I'd like to, at the risk of um, being overly prescriptive, which I, I sense that you're wary of, <laughs> um, I'm going to ask you to be for, for a second. I don't know if it makes you uncomfortable, but I'll do my go best. with me in this one. Sure. There are people who want to do what you do. What are you mm. telling them? What would you tell them if they're here? It's just start. I mean, it's there's no there's no secret formula. There is no secret to anything. It's just you do it, and you can't plan it out. You have, especially if you want to make radio, you have this supply. It's finite, luckily, this finite supply of horrible radio inside of you. And you can't think it out, you can't study it out, you can't listen to it out. You have to work it out. And, and as you keep doing it, you will get better. And so that's really it. And you can solve the problem of the money thing later. I, I mean, if you can't, then I understand that because I came from very humble means. But I just worked in the, the corners of the time to make it work. Um, and, and then if you... If you have a combination of having the skills to do it and the right connections and the ability to sort of get people to pay attention to it, then you can make it. It's not, I wish I could tell you that if you just worked hard, you could make it. I was super lucky. I thought, I mean, I, I was, no one knew what I did. 
for 10 years, and then all of a sudden people cared. And I was just as good a producer before that as I was afterward. So luckily I had some goods to deliver when people found me, but there's no guarantee that putting the effort in results in anything. But I know that not putting the, not putting the effort in gets you nowhere. What is one thing that if you told people about yourself, they would be surprised to know? <laughs> um, surprised. My staff is always surprised that I really like to dance. <laughs> they consider me very that. buttoned up. I don't know why. And they, they consider me very buttoned up and, uh, and not, and I, I have a very different like. Let the waistcoat go and just. Yeah, I just like, that's one thing. Like I, I, love, I love dancing and I love, uh, um, but the other stuff I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like, I've, my personality has been out through what I do a lot. Yeah. And so. Um, that's the, why, that's the nature of the question. Though, yeah, so, so I would say the other thing is like, I swear a lot more on, especially on, on Twitter and various other things. And I'm, I, so there's, a, there's an impression of uh, Roman Mars, the host of the show, who's like super thoughtful, reads every plaque, pays attention to everything, is really careful about things. And then there's the me, the person that can't be bothered by stuff and is not, it's, you know, like, to, to me, and I, I don't mean to talk in third person in any sort of e egotistical way, but the, the Roman Mars host is an aspirational character. Like, you know, like, he's more thoughtful, he's more curious, he cares more about the world. The, the angry punk rock me, which is a lot, part of, a huge part of me, yep. is um, just reacts and is not thoughtful and doesn't think about the other side of things and just wants to fight. And so, you know, so that's a huge part of my personality that people don't get to very often, but my friends get to see it. The glorious, <laughs> angry side of me. Well, you mentioned <laughs> punk rock. You mentioned punk. You mentioned Doc Martens. Yeah. Punk yeah. band. Uh, I was never, I was, I, I worked a lot with them. I was basically like the booker of a lot of bands, and I worked, I did my own sort of thing. But, like, I grew up on... Uh, uh, Washington DC hardcore. I'm still straight edge. I it was my uh, it was my thing. Wow. And so I I love that stuff. And a lot of what I did, you know, like I created a um, uh, with PRX. I created this collective of podcasts called Radiotopia, which is like my little punk rock label. And I've always wanted one, and I made it in podcasting instead. And so the ethics of that. We're all built the way we do our contracts, the way we don't own anything of anybody's, um, the way we try to treat people and they take care of their own work and take care of themselves. It's like, to me, it's my Discord label. That's what I, that's, that's, it, it informs every part of my life, my history with like punk rock music and punk rock ethic. We share that in common. <laughs> Just the DIY ethos, the if you can't, if you can't buy it, then build it. And yeah. if you can't find it, then make it. And if not you, then who? Yeah. Like, time to get to work. Absolutely. Um, any particular characters from that era that... Well, I mean, my, my hero was Ian MacKay. I mean, that, and so, like, it's the way... Minor Threat, Ian? Minor Threat. Yeah. Yeah, Minor Threat and Fugazi and Embrace. Either. I don't believe we've met. My name's Ian, and I'm from Minor, minor Threat. threat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the, you know, he... 
the way he comported himself and did his business, which is a strange part to take from that, you know, but that was, I recognized that. And it was, um, and it was about doing something small that was also universal. So like he was interested in documenting a single scene, the, the Washington DC hardcore scene. And, and it had ripple effects out in the world. It had ripple effects for me while I was growing up in central Ohio. And, um, and so it was both small and big. It was, it was careful. It was like, um, I always knew that the next Discord release I would like and I would also be challenged by. Mm. Every Fugazi album that ever came out, first time I listened to it, I hated it. Hated it. <laughs> and then I love it. You loved it, right? And, and like, all art should be this balance between comfort and challenge. And if it's too comfortable, like a lot of punk is. Like, so there's like, punk can be really dismissed kind of easily. So it's like, it tends to be all comfort and no challenge a lot of the time. So like, I don't know, you know, the first album sounds exactly like the fifth album. And, you know, it's, and it's, it's, comfort, it's comforting, but it gets tiresome. The ones who really, the ones I fell in love with were the ones who were like, I kind of hated what they did next because I wanted to be like they were before. But I, and then I grew to love what they did. So that, that was a big part of what Discord was about. It was always about challenging with the style of music and the, how, the range of what they did. Do you think so. about your career in those terms also? Are you trying to do that with your show? I mean, I, I or is it, on is a, it in, my, in my best days, I think so. I mean, a lot of times you just get bored, you know? So, I mean, that's what drives that stuff forward is you're bored with yourself. And so you always want to do something different. But it's nice to rest on comfort. Like you can't not provide it. Because yeah. there, there was a moment where, you know, like I had to pick my staff up off the floor the day after Trump won the election because they basically wanted to just crawl do, floor, yeah. do that and also like only do basically anti-Trump things. Yeah. I was like, well, that's not our job. It's part of our job, but it's not all of our job. So like, because our job is still to provide comfort. Our job is still to do the things that people care about that we've been doing the whole time. And when we can fit in the parts that challenge, that's great. But the comfort part is not, like, it's not that the challenge part is the noble part and the comfort part is the weak, capitalist, horrible part. You know, the, it's part, it's good, it's, comfort is good too. And so I like that there's shows that people can rely on that provide something that's thoughtful and interesting. And I think that makes the world a better place, even if you're not just screaming at the world. I'm really moved by your idea uh, that you shared early in the show about um, about uh, the visual, like the people who are listening, like what are they visualizing? Mm -hmm. And it's for that reason that I want to take a picture of you and I while we're actually on the radio show here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's, it's weird that it's a phenomenon. So my background is also in philosophy, the philosophy of art. And mm -hmm. conceptually, I think that's a really interesting thing, playing with the media. And if the media is the message, what is, a, what is an auditory experience of, because you know what it looks like when people are taking a picture together. Mm -hmm. And so right now, there are going to be tens of hundreds of thousands of people going, hmm, I wonder what it looks like when Chase takes a picture <laughs> okay. with Mr. Mars. <laughs> so... This is, it's, it's, it's cultural, but here we go. It's a little bit too bright. Mm -hmm. So now you know, folks. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> That's what it sounds like. I, I want you to know that I'm excited to have had you on the show. I feel like, as a reminder to the folks at home, that everything that you talked about 
with your radio show and making and producing and creating and working in business is 100% applicable to any of these, the, the, the making process, regardless of the medium. Um, any habits that you attribute to um, success or longevity or, um, I mean, from a practical side? Habits, I mean, I, I mean, you, it, unfortunately, there's lots of bad habits to success and not just good habits, which is like you work too much and you work at night and you you just work all the time. And and uh, I recommend working at home a lot so you can still see your kids. And uh, I, like, I exercise a lot. I run a lot. So I, I, I do that every day. That's a big deal to me. But it's it, I don't know if it really helps. It must help my work, but... Um, I don't think of it as that necessarily. There's I just one way to check. <laughs> exactly. Well, what I the thing is, I, I have um, because of stress or whatever how I'm wired. I have uh, chronic migraines, and the only thing that helps me is uh, is uh, being so exhausted that I sleep really hard. And so I basically have to. It's not that I'm like, yay, exercise. I'm like great at it. It's it's basically I, it's my medicine. Like I do it an hour and a half a day so that I'm exhausted when I'm done. An hour and a half. A day. I mean. It's okay, maybe sixty minutes. It it ranges from sixty to an hour. And wow. I, yeah. I mean, it's just, but it's like it's not. It's like energy runs downhill. Okay, so if I was fine and doing things I loved at every moment, then and it's really hard to get outside and it's wet and rainy. That's when it's really hard to exercise. When you're going to be in blinding pain, you know, for three days and not get anything done, then. Working out for an hour is not that big a deal. That's right. You're like, I'm on it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, so, so it's not, again, this is not a, it's not noble. I don't have great habits. I'm not really good at things. It's just like, I know what the alternative is for me. If I was, you know, normal, then, um, that wouldn't be an issue. <laughs> the humility with which you approach the habit question and saying you have a bunch of bad habits like working, blah, blah, blah. Can you actually... Um, not be humble for a second and say something <laughs> for God's sakes, Roman. Of what are the good things I do? Yeah, what's a good habit that you have that you can actually that you would actually call good? He's like, nah, I've got nothing. I, I mean, I really, I don't, I don't think of it that way. I always think about the things I should be improving. I'm super messy. I understand that. That's I'm, what I'm trying to get yeah. you to break through. Here. <laughs> this like, is therapy. No, I'm, I'm, I'm super I'm messy. My stuff is not organized at all. Like I have. Terrible habits about that stuff. We're clearly not going to get there, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the main thing is just to rec- is like, is the one thing that came over time that for me was the you when you have something that's your own, you always have work to do. So the thing you can get good at and practice at, which is a good habit, is You're so reluctant right now. <laughs> You're so reluctant. Is to get good at assessing like where your level of fear about getting something done actually matches the amount of time you have left so that you're not freaking out about something like I do radio so like it never stops there's always something to do so like I work with some people work in in print and in web like so my my digital director Kurt he like doesn't understand he's like why aren't you banking shows and getting them done why don't you feel nervous all the time because of it and it's because I know we'll get them done. I, it's like, so if you can match up with like your, know your skill level, know what you can do, 
and like get to the point where you're not fretting over a thing. Um, like, you know, like knowing where, where to put your worry, I guess is the right thing to do, is, is really important. And how do you get there? I, you get there with time. Time, right? It's like, it's, it. like, it's like reps. It's just knowing, knowing your own habits and knowing like not even like don't, you don't have to like, I don't have to look at the hours. I don't have to estimate the hours. I know that if I have a thing in 10 days and I haven't started, you know, it's like, it's about like in a, like a live event. I don't know. I can kind of wing part of that is, is it's triage. And that, that's important because you can't fight a, a, a war on all sides. So you being, getting good at that triage and knowing your own habits and your skill set to deal with that, that's a thing and it only comes with time. When was the last time you gave a long form interview like this? Yesterday, two days ago, a week ago, or two <laughs> months ago? I can't remember. Um, I would, it's been a while. I mean, I did a, a stage thing a couple of days ago and people asked me questions, but it's, you know, I, I usually interview. Yeah, I that's, what I, that's one of the yeah. reasons I love this and I'm, I'm excited about what we've recorded here. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing so much. Um, My pleasure. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. The world loves it. I'm, uh, I'm excited. I know that Debbie's excited to have you be a part of this print thing. It's yeah. fun connecting here just for the last 45 minutes or so. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, man. Appreciate, appreciate it. it. All right, that about wraps it up. But before I let you go, I want to say, A, a huge thank you. B, let you know how to find me. I'm basically at Chase Jarvis all over the internet on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I'm very active on Snapchat. You guys should check it. If that's a platform that you enjoy, uh, check me out there as well as all the other ones. It's a super important ask for you to share this also. Uh, subscribe via iTunes, SoundCloud, and or Stitcher. And most definitely, if you're willing to put in a little bit of extra juice, please leave a review on iTunes. That helps make our podcast more visible. Last place that you can check it out and, and get some additional value is in my newsletter, which is chasejarvis.com slash VIP. That is where I put content out before it hits my social platforms. So that's sort of the insider track. Leave comments all over the internet for me. I will track them down and respond as best I can. And uh, again, huge thank you for listening to the podcast. And I'm looking forward to the next episode already. I hope you'll join me next time.